it's that sort of relationship that that adds the the emotional reward to business rather than just it being about you know EBITDA margins and return on invested capital and all that good stuff. It's about building great relationships, having customers look after you, you look after customers, and, and building a community around yourself. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I am here with a good friend of mine, Emmett Williams from MyZone. We are in San Diego at the URSA 2018 trade show, and technology is finally working in the sector, <laughs> and people aren't running away from you as a technology guy. So yes. welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete, and what a great environment to have it at a cocktail party with a, uh, a few drinks in front of us. Well, I start my day with a MyZone breakfast and ended yeah. with a uh, Halo Talks beer with you. So, uh, so we're going exactly. full circle. It's a good, yeah, way to, beautiful. good way to start and end a trade show day. So, uh, Emmett, first, for our listeners here, which are mostly health club fitness operators yeah. and entrepreneurs across country, um, why don't you just talk about, give, give a, a quick description on MyZone, what the company yeah. does, and then we're going to rewind and talk about how you started the business and give people a dose of reality of what it takes to build a real business. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, thanks. Look, MyZone's a wearable technology platform. We uh, developed it in 2011, so that's seven years ago, um, and our mission is to motivate members to put the effort in um, that they need to, to get results with fitness. And, and from a, a B2B perspective, um, our mission is to drive lifetime value for the gym operator. Back in 2011, Fitbit was a baby. It only did $8 million worth of revenue wow. that year. And um, uh, wearable technology was not a household name. Now, last year, Fitbit did $1.6 billion worth of revenue. So if that's a proxy for the growth of the space over seven well, my, years. My 10-year-old nephew, uh, yep. you know, is counting his steps. So yep. I thank them for that because that's important. Yeah. No, look, it in is. an earlier age. It is. And a lot of wearables have got out of the gate. And Fitbit is, of, of course, you know, you would argue is the uh, the market leader in terms of general wearables. But the thing about MyZone is that we're built for purpose. So we've looked at the fitness industry and looked at the gym member and said, we're going we're gonna to take a heart rate device and make it applicable with gamification and social motivation to, to do the job that needs to be done. How difficult was it for you to say, or based on your background and your, and your partner's background, to say, yeah. All right, that sounds really exciting and sexy to go directly to consumers. Yep. Realize how long it takes to actually build a brand and what the yep. customer acquisition cost is versus saying, you know what? Let's go into the channel. Yep. Let's provide something that the channel needs and let them leverage relationships they've already had. Because I'm sure there had to have been a conversation like, we got this really awesome, you know, heart rate monitor. Like, yep. we can do whatever we want with it. But you get to make that, that decision point. Yeah, yeah. And look, a lot of mentors and other investors have turned around and said, why don't you just go direct to consumer? And why don't you put your, your device on the shelf at Best Buy? And the reality is that we would have got swallowed up if we did that because we don't have a competitive advantage in that right. world. Where we do have a competitive advantage is in the health and fitness industry because we've got domain expertise and we, um, as a partnership group, we'd uh, owned health clubs, we'd owned uh, three or four vendor businesses in the health and fitness industry. So we, we got what the consumer wanted, we got what the operator wanted, and that gave us the advantage. And look, the Apple Watch and Fitbit and even Polar and Garmin, they don't get the fitness industry. And, uh, you know, so our strategy is not necessarily um, product leadership or cost leadership, it's customer intimacy, and uh, uh, that is the fitness industry. So when you started the company, you know, with your two partners, 
did you look at it and say, there's a frustration that, that we can solve? Or did you say that there is a market demand by the consumers? How would you think about that? Because I think most companies start with a frustration. Yeah. And then we're going to solve it, but we're going to actually solve it on behalf of someone else that can actually deploy yeah. it. So it's kind yeah. of a... Like that B2B2C model, I guess, is the yeah the best way or the most rudimentary way to say it. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, look the, I think the primary challenge in the fitness industry, of course, is retention. It's easy to sell a membership in January, but try and keep them by St. Patrick's Day. You know, half of them have, have given up. And we looked at that problem and thought, all good businesses solve big problems. How can we solve that particular problem? And I know a lot of vendors are trying to do the same thing. Um, but the science of motivation has been around for a long time. Even though wearables are new, um, this notion of a feedback loop with rewards and triggers and, and so on has been around since, uh, you know, for, for a very long time. And, and so that's essentially what we, we came in and did. We thought if we can give feedback, if we can make the exerciser feel good about what they're doing, then they'll get the urge to do it again. So when you started the business, started to do the first couple of trials, yep. How much of the trial was to satisfy yourself and your partners? Because you guys yep. are probably the biggest critics yeah. of your own technology, I would assume. Well, you know what? Our, our eyes were sort of bigger than our stomach. I was, uh, obviously, I'm from Australia, and I had very little children at the time, a two-year-old and a nine-month, and we got... I thought you said little, like as in few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got 17, only yeah, joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I just can't keep going, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they were babies, <laughs> and what we did was we actually came over to Miami uh, to do this Net Promoter Score course, right, okay. for a week. It cost us $10,000. We were really getting into Net Promoter Score at the time, and we had MyZone working on the side as a project. And we went on a tour with, uh, and we met with Joe Cirelli, we met with Rick Caro, we went, met with leaders in the space, and we said, this is what we're thinking of doing with MyZone, what do you think? And everyone gave us positive feedback. Um, in fact, my first American football game was that week as well. I was over here as a tourist, and I went to the Green Bay Packer and... Uh, at Steelers game, oh, and, I, okay. and, I, and I still remember being on the 50-yard line and uh, turning to uh, the guys I was with and said, what are four downs? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so they had to explain that at the start of the Super Bowl. But anyway, so this was, you know, representative of the week. We were in a great mood, we at the Super Bowl. Everyone was saying yes, and I flew home and said to my wife, we're on a winner here. We have to move to the United States and, and make this pop. And she's quite adventurous as well. And she said, right, let's do it. We had little kids and we told everyone we'd be back in uh, in a year or two. Right. Seven years on, uh, we've had some... Uh, Where are you some, living now? Uh, at Laguna Beach in California. Nice. That's not that terrible to... No, you know, I'm not complaining. Not so, so much of a trade-off. You know. No, not, not complaining. <laughs> but, uh, but no, our eyes were really wide. Uh, yeah. uh, wide. And um, and then we hit reality when we, when we rolled it out. So as you looked at knowing what, what it takes to sell B2B to C software and the adoption. Yep. Okay, we've been doing this for seven years, right? Yep. How many nights did you stay up and be like, look, I know I got a great product. The sales cycle is ridiculously long. Yep. And I just don't understand, you know, why this isn't moving as quicker than I want it to. Yeah. But quicker than it should. Yeah. Now, how do you, because there are entrepreneurs that are going to be listening to this saying, okay, I think I'm the next my zone and when the next wave comes I'm going to be there yeah. and I think a lot of people get false hope that you know I'm going to show you the product it's going to move you're going to yeah. start paying your fee I'm going to deploy it move on yeah. to the next deal so once you give people a dose of reality of how it works it's all 
any kind of software or platform that's basically a process that they're going to have to deploy? Yeah, look, a really good question. And it takes a while to build momentum. I, I remember reading a book, you know, we started MyZone in 2011. I read Crossing the Chasm in 2013, and that book absolutely hit the nail on the head. You see, what we had done is we'd gone out and sold to all these innovators, these people who were prepared to take risks, you know, these operators who thought, you know what, it, it seems like a great idea and we'll put some money and time into it. Then we got into the early adopters and then all of a sudden it hit this resistance point and we couldn't work out why. And it was because right. we were trying to cross the chasm as the, uh, as the theory goes. And the next group of customers, which are huge, the early majority, guess what? They're not visionaries, they're pragmatists and they need proof and they need systems and they need to see an operator up the road who's had success with this for, for many years. Um, so when we went through some, some tough times, it was the innovators who just believed in us and were prepared to be on the bleeding edge that funded the company. Then we hit some resistance. Then we had to work out that, hey, it's about systems, it's about proof, it's about justifying what we're doing and creating real value. And that's, that's hard work. So how much, um, you know, as you went through, you know, crossing the chasm, and I think you yeah. just kind of gone to the point where, you know, you got wait-listed breakfast. So yeah. that, that, that <laughs> might mean you've crossed the chasm in its own yep. scorecard type of way. Yep. Um, when, when you look at doing this, you're starting a company with a couple of co-founders. Yeah. Um, and I've started a couple of companies on my own, and it's been very lonely. Yep. Um, you know, and you start talking to yourself and... Yep. Usually don't have arguments with yourself when you speak out loud, I'll yep. just be honest with you. Um, but, you know, <laughs> like when you have co-founders, you, you get other opinions and you kind of can feel and you can talk about like, look, are we really where we think we are or, yep. you know, am I like, my, am I a self-promoter? Yeah. You know, so how did that help you? kind of cross the chasm when you knew you were going across it with others. Yeah, yeah, look, the, the great thing about our partnership is that there's three of us and it's an odd number and odd numbers are wonderful um, when it comes to, uh, comes to decision making and we've all got different personalities and also different experiences. So, yeah, there's been some really heated exchanges. Make sure, no mistake. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, debating product development, debating go-to-market strategy and, and certainly debating budget. And if you want to know what someone's strategy is just have a look at their budget. Where are they putting money? And, you know, when you're not just stamping out a business model, like a franchise or, or a, a mature business, when there's a white canvas in front of you, there's a, you could go any way. You could go left, right, up, down. And, and that does create debate. But I think debate is needed and good tension is needed um, because your other partners will hold you accountable. But you've got to have that level of trust between you that, you know what, we can put the... Uh, put the gloves on and, and duke it out. And then at the end of it, we put a line under it and move on to the next issue. Yeah. I mean, I think navigating relationships and, and founder decisions and um, deciding, okay, we're going to go down this path and we might have had a heated argument about where we're going, but now we're just going to go down there as three musketeers and, you know, yeah. the, the market can't know that we had dissension. And... Um, Somebody can't say, I told you so, yeah. right? Because that doesn't foster, you know, what's best for the company. So, yeah, there's no trust in that. And, and you're right. I, yeah. I think if, if you're trying to choose between black and white and, and two of you are choosing black and one is white, that third person who chose white has to say, all right, I'm going to get behind it and we'll, we'll all be black. Yeah, and, you know, part of, uh, part of not taking capital at a critical point might actually be a good thing. And it might have hurt, yep. you know, financially and it might have... Um, you know, I've been painful in, in a lot of different regards. But, yeah. you know, when you have an outside investor, and I've served as an outside investor, I've been subject to outside investors. Some yeah. of them 
you know, I have a good relationship with some, some of them. You know, they're just saying, yeah. look, you need to do this. And I have the right to tell you what to do. Yeah. And I've, I've been in a situation where I've got the right to tell other people what to do. And I might be frustrated about past decisions. Yeah. And now I'm saddled with we're here because of those decisions that I didn't agree with. You know? yeah. So it seems like to navigate to where you are today is, you know, somewhat of a good fortune. Yeah. And now you're at a point where, okay, how are we going to grow the company to the next level? Yeah. You know, so how do you think about systematically just continuing to bring on clubs? Because it seems like you've got, you figured it out. People are using it, you're getting results. So what's the next step of mass adoption? Yeah, look, okay, so growth for us... There's a lot can, going on in that, right? There's so, a lot so, going so on in that. So why don't you pick whatever you want Which to Which is answer. why I closed my eyes to you, start you answering it. I thought you were blinking. <laughs> so it was a long blink. I'm on my second beer. <laughs> there, look, growth comes down to sort of two things, I guess. It, it's market expansion or product expansion. And, and, you know, we've agreed as a board that, you know, let's not get ahead of our skis here. Let's focus on product expansion in our home markets at the moment. Um, let's flesh that out. Let's help with the systems for the sell-through of the club. And then uh, in 2019, 2020, we'll start expanding from a geographic perspective. But if we go too wide too quick in terms of geography, then we're going to take the momentum that we've got for granted. We really need to become the gorilla in the uh, in the marketplace. And we, we, we have established that. You know, earlier today, we were lucky enough to be uh, issued the Vendor of the Year Award at Ursa, and we really appreciate that. And, and thank you, and I was telling the story, Pete, that it wasn't that long ago, it was literally five years ago that I was on the phone to Ursa working out payment plans for the Ursa trade show because I couldn't afford to pay them. And that was because our product wasn't working and we had all these returns and we thought it was a great concept and everyone told us it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden we hit this resistance point. We couldn't hit payroll at that time. I mean, it was tough, and and to come out of it and uh, and now have a breakfast that you saw this morning and uh, yeah. and win the award is, is is great. I think it's important that people understand these stories mm. uh, and understand that when you hit those times, you got to be willing to to ask for a payment plan instead of just mm. not paying. Yeah, you know, you got to tell your employees, look, you got to hold this check for a couple of days because it's not yep. going to clear. Yep. Um, and I think that. That makes you a better person. That makes you, you know, transparent to the marketplace. Yep. And it, it gives you, you know, listen, I, you ever watch this movie called Supermensch on Netflix? No, I haven't. You got to watch it. Yeah. It's a guy who was the manager for a number of uh, big uh, rock stars. Uh, Alice Cooper, his name is Shep Gordon. And he said that everything he did was based on coupons. Right. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do you a favor. You're going to do me a favor. And yep. I don't know when you're gonna cash this in with me or I'm gonna cash it in with you, but like, I need a week or I need you to, to deploy this or I need, yeah. you know, you got guys that yeah. you said, you know, were giving you market validation. You weren't paying them to be your consulting. Yeah. You were just saying like, hey, look, I need you to do this for me. Yeah. And, and then you give it back to somebody else. Yeah. You know, so this industry is actually very, it's filled with passionate people, filled with passionate yeah. entrepreneurs. It seems like a lot of people want to help each other. Yeah. They don't, they're not looking to get something from it. Yeah. And, and, it's kind and of unique, isn't it? It, it really is. And, and look, Pat Laos, I'm, I'm not sure if you know her. She, uh, yeah, Atlanta Club, right? Yeah, the Atlanta yeah, Club sure. in, in New Jersey. I'll, I'll tell you the, the one week in 2013 that, that I will never forget is the week that 
I had to sit down with employees and tell them that we can't pay them at the moment and that we'll get around to it next month, right? That was one conversation. Next month, that's... That was tough. Yeah. Sure. I, I called Ursa and, and other vendors and put them on payment plans and then I got on an aeroplane and flew to Pat's club and ran a town hall in her group exercise room with her members because the product that I had sold Pat, who had sold her members, was not working, yet they'd paid good money for it. Wow. And I walked out onto... Uh, onto the group exercise floor and it was like... Uh, Would you bring like a new product with you and like, oh, what'd you do? You know what, I didn't have a new product, man. Oh, we were we were battling. Wow. I, I walked onto stage and said, good evening everyone, thanks for coming. My name's Emmett Williams and I'm the president of MyZone and I'm here to say sorry and then I'm gonna make it better. And that, that was the absolute killer moment. That's when Pat Laus and Kevin McHugh and our employees were like, you know what, we've got your back here and the members reacted the same way. And of course we flushed out their stock and we, we worked it out, but it took a long time. Like they, these glitches weren't two week glitches. That How was... much of that, obviously you're, you're talking about now, so it's, yeah. not, it's not, you haven't blacked that out in your memory, but no. um, I think for an entrepreneur, when you have those types of moments, they shape who you, you yeah. are and who you will always be because yep. there's this level of humility yep. and um, there's this term that I that I that I can't stand what people use, yeah. And it's called uh, when someone's like, "Oh, I'm independently wealthy," right. like bullshit. Yeah. Because you're not you're dependent on everyone that's bought your product. You're yes. dependent on the bank that has your money. You're dependent yep. on everyone, right? Yeah. So you're not independently wealthy. You're you're yep. dependently wealthy. And you're yep. dependent on everybody else. So you actually realize that whatever personal or professional grief you were going to take. I'd rather, yeah. You'd rather take it, yeah. absorb it, make you better, and that might be yeah. driving part of what your goals are now. Yeah. And, and look, it, it also builds that resilience. And, and now the Atlantic Club are still our customers today, five, six years on. And it's that sort of relationship that, that adds the, the emotional reward to business rather than just it being about, you know, EBITDA margins and return on invested capital and all that good stuff. It's about building great relationships, having customers look after you, you look after customers, and, and building a community around yourself. Yeah. So when you take a look at um, how long it takes to actually build these monthly recurring revenue streams, yep. which are really based on members who are getting results yep. and seeing the data that are making them feel amazing, how good does that make you feel? Look, it, it does, it does. And that's why I like doing all these quantitative studies because we don't get to spend time with the members. You know, they're out at the, at the customers' clubs. And, uh, and yes, when I, I visit a club, sure, you know, I get to bump into members that have got my zone and we have great conversations and it's great research. But looking at the data from 10,000 feet, I really do enjoy because you get to see behaviour change. You get to see retention expand. You get to see lifetime value go up. And you sit there thinking, you know what? that operator put their house on the line for that business and now we're helping them drive profit margin out of it, so I've served him. Then you look at the members and you, you think, well, guess what, you've gone from working out seven times per month and we can tell you're now working out 12 times per month and that delta of five workouts, it means something. That's how you get results. Yeah. I mean, the people that you're selling the software to and, uh, and mm -hmm. the bands are, you know, you ba they basically have turned their their passion into a profession, and you're basically helping them optimize and allowing them to not have to go and get an update their resume yep. and get another job. So the level of responsibility that I think we all feel in the industry 
is that if I can make that person have a sustainable business yep. and they can be educated on the tools and maybe learn from us and from you while we're doing these podcasts, yep. it's like, here's mistakes that if you don't make these mistakes, you're probably going to be successful. Um, yep. So how do you feel from a company standpoint and the culture that's been built around my zone of like, you know, my zone is like your zone. Yep. And like, you're going to basically use my platform to basically further what you need to be successful. And, and the data proves that now. Yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, from seven years ago being in Australia yeah. to now, how much responsibility do you still feel for like each one of those members that has a strap on every day? I guess that's a, yeah. you know, like a heart rate monitor is like that, that's, that, that, that's what, quantifies everything yeah and look the heart rate monitors the the product but you know really the business we're in is the behavior change or the sustained right. behavior of exercise and and you know we have you know metrics you know falling out our briefcase and uh you know every, everything from monthly active users to um the adoption rate early and the attrition rate and and all that good stuff and we're always trying to better and optimize from a quantitative perspective but essentially um, you know, the example I use is uh, is toothpaste. We are the tingle in the toothpaste. And, you know, back in the 30s, Colgate, the story goes, did not have, they just had this bland paste and they were selling it to clean your teeth. And they realised that their customers were only uh, brushing their teeth once a, once a day and they wanted their customers to brush their teeth twice a day. And, and so they educated them about um, the importance of, of dental hygiene and it didn't move the needle until the behavioural scientists came in and said, put some um, citric acid in it, what that will do is it'll give it a tingle in their mouth and that will give them a sense of satisfaction, the sense of reward, sense of achievement. And if you give them enough reward, and when they get triggered to do it again, they'll get the urge to do it again. It's the science of dopamine and creating habits. Sure. And that's that's essentially the business we're in, where the tingle in the toothpaste by giving them the reward and making them feel good. And from a bird's eye view, if those metrics can keep on improving, then we're happy that we're doing our job. I used to get offended when people would put down the MyZone belt, but everything in this world has attrition attached to it. Sure. You know, the jacket I'm wearing, it will come a time where I never wear the jacket again, and that's Yeah, because I might take it, because I, I like the colour, and yeah. I think it's about my size. So yeah. <laughs> you might lose it. That's right. I better be careful. Exactly. But, you know, everything's got attrition um, attached to it, and, and what we're just trying to do is move the baseline on that. Well, that's great. So, um, look, I've watched your progress over, you know, several years, so congrats yeah. on where you are. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. I think um, it's a mission-critical part of the sector. Yeah. And I uh, look forward to growing the Halo community with you. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks, Pete. Thanks, thanks for inviting show. us into it, mate. We, uh, awesome. we, we're enjoying it. Cool. Good one. Thanks, man.